Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 59 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. Thank you for once again giving me some of your time. Today, we're exploring more animal phrases. There's just so many of them out there, and I love animals, so I keep coming back to these furry and feathered phrases. Let's avoid any further ado and get right into today's phrases' origins, history, and more. First up for today, we're going to a dog and pony show. This idiom is used to describe something that's over the top and is usually said with an air of disdain. The origin of this one is easy to pin down, because there used to be literal dog and pony shows. Starting around the 1880s, many small circuses toured the United States. They often catered to small towns and rural areas, where big circuses didn't necessarily go because it wasn't worth their time to set up for the low population. The reason these small circuses were called dog and pony shows was because they often featured dogs and ponies as the main attractions. They were becoming more well-known by the mid-1880s, something we know because of an article in the Omaha Daily Bee, a newspaper from Omaha, Nebraska. On September 23, 1885, we find the following quote. The dog and pony show of Professor Morris drew big houses in the matinee and at the evening performance yesterday. All who went, old and young, seemed delighted. End quote. So if this began as a literal thing that people enjoyed, how did it become an idiomatic phrase for things people don't like? It took around 80 years to become more metaphorical than literal. In a New York Times article from October 4, 1967, we find this quote. Mr. Alley said his agency does not do speculative presentations either. They will sit down with a prospective client, however, and talk about the agency and the client's problems. But the dog and pony show we will not do. End quote. From that point on, people continued using the phrase to describe something over-the-top and ridiculous, and therefore it took on a more negative connotation. Now, let's put some lipstick on a pig. Putting lipstick on a pig means that no matter how you make something look, it doesn't change what it truly is. Now, this saying, as it's currently used, is not old at all which, since the term lipstick has only been around since 1880, isn't too surprising. However, the idea behind this idiom is much older. Let's work backwards on this one. In 1985, the Washington Post of Washington, D.C. published the words of a San Francisco radio host. I couldn't find his name, but while talking about refurbishing a stadium instead of building a new one, he said, quote, that would be like putting lipstick on a pig, end quote. 
About 40 years earlier, in 1946, Stella Gibbons published Westwood. In it, she wrote, quote, Miss Susan, who had a face like a very young pig that had managed to get a hold of a lipstick. End quote. Now, as for the idea behind the phrase, we need to go back about 300 years further into old-timey times. By the mid-16th century, it was common to say you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. Along the lines of the lipstick version, this came from the belief that pigs were dirty animals, and nothing you did to it cosmetically could change that. There have been other variations, such as the 20th century version, a hog in a silk waistcoat is still a hog. No matter when you're using this phrase, or exactly how, it carries the same negative connotation. Now let's move from a negative to a naysayer and cry wolf. Okay, toppers, I know that most people have probably heard this one which means to lie or raise a false alarm. Also, many people probably know that this saying came from Aesop's fables. It's a pretty simple story. A young boy is tasked with watching some sheep. He gets bored, so he cries out that a wolf is coming, making all the adults with an earshot run to help. They see that there's no wolf. They get frustrated, and the boy laughs at his brilliant prank and everyone goes back to whatever they were doing. Having enjoyed the ruse so much, the boy does it again. Wash, rinse, repeat. However, later, a real wolf shows up and begins to attack the sheep. The boy calls for help, but no one believes he truly needs it, and all the sheep are killed. In some versions of the tale, the wolf eats the boy too. It's a story meant to teach people not to lie, because doing so will make you untrustworthy, and you may not be able to get help when you need it most. Now, you may be expecting me to reveal the plot twist here and tell you that this isn't really where this idiom comes from. But I can't, because this one really does come from Aesop's fables. Now, what you may not know is that it took a hot minute for this one to become a popular tale. I think I've mentioned this before, but Aesop lived around the 6th century BC. However, his Greek tale of the woes of being untruthful wasn't translated to Latin until the 15th century AD. It wasn't too well known until that point, when Heinrich Steinhauel, a Swabian author, humanist, and translator, featured it in his own collection of fables. From that point on, it spread across Europe, then the world, to teach children everywhere to be honest. Now, let's talk about the elephant in the room. The saying, the elephant in the room, refers to an obvious problem or issue which is being ignored. The idea behind this one is pretty straightforward. Elephants are the largest land animals, and so if one was in a room with you, it'd be fairly hard to ignore it. Ergo, if you're trying to work something out and there's an obvious flaw in the plan you willingly choose to ignore, you're ignoring the idiomatic large beast. This is another one that doesn't seem to show up in print until rather recently. The New York Times newspaper is believed to have printed it before anyone else, on June 20, 
1959. It read, Financing schools has become a problem about equal to having an elephant in the living room. It's so big, you just can't ignore it. End quote. Now, a few years earlier, in 1952, the Charleston, West Virginia paper, the Charleston Gazette, published this in a July article. Quote, Chicago, that's an old Indian word meaning get that elephant out of your room. End quote. While this first one is a little different than how we use it today, what this tells us is that by the 1950s, this saying, and ones like it, were well established in the vernacular. Now, we know that the idea behind it is definitely older, because in 1814, a Russian poet and fabulist named Ivan Andrevich Krylov wrote a fable called The Inquisitive Man. It's about a man who visits a museum and takes note of many small objects, but doesn't notice an elephant that is also in the room. Now, no one seems to know who may have said this one first, but since elephants have always been big relative to humans, it's likely that at least the idea of this one has been around since well before Krylov put it in his fable. Now it's time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is jumping the shark. This one is by request from Chris Green, who has a podcast called Gravity Beard. He also does some great things with bloopers from indie podcasts, putting out the Blunder Dogs pod. Stick around after my own blooper reel today to hear a promo. All right, so, jumping the shark. First of all, if something or someone has jumped the shark, it basically means that thing or person has become washed up and is no longer deserving of the high praise and popularity it used to earn. It can also mean a failed promotion, or in other words, a failed attempt at rekindling the excitement and enjoyment something or someone once brought to others. You might already know where this saying came from. The date was September 20th, 1977. One of the coolest cats to ever grace the small screen was visiting Los Angeles, during the fifth season premiere of the wildly popular show, Happy Days. Fonzie, or the Fonz, was wearing his trusty leather jacket, some seriously short shorts, and a bright yellow life preserver belt, and he was tearing up the wake on a pair of water skis. To prove he was brave, he literally did a jump over a shark. A lot of viewers didn't like this mainly because there was an earlier episode where Fonzie was injured after being in a motorcycle stunt, and after that he declared that he knew it was stupid to take a risk to show he was brave. Ergo, the fans didn't think the reformed stunt-doer would risk his life again by leaping over a shark. Plus, he looked kind of goofy wearing his jacket under the life preserver with the short swimming trunks. Fun fact here, they included the water skiing storyline simply to show off Henry Winkler's actual water skiing skills. Now, even if you already knew this story, it's less likely that you knew that Fonzie was not actually the first fictional character to jump over a shark on water skis. 
While his daring stunt was definitely the thing that launched this saying into the popular phrase we still use today, the Fonz was about 50 years too late to be the first fictional person to do it. Sir Pelham Grenville Wodehouse was an English author, better known as P.G. Wodehouse. In his 1922 novel, Right Ho, Jeeves, a character named Angela jumps a shark while water skiing on the French Riviera. So there you have it. The Fonz made it popular, but he didn't invent it. And with that, it's time for today's Familiar Quotation. Toppers, today's familiar quotation is from Bendy Irwin, and here's what she had to say about how to treat animals. Quote, If you treat animals how you want to be treated, you're a lot better off. End quote. Thank you, Bendy, for giving us today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, now it's time for today's For Better or For Words, love advice from old-timey times. As always, let's hear from the ladies first. Don't lose heart when life seems hard. Look forward to the corner you're bound to turn soon, and point it out to your husband. And now for the men. Don't flourish a grimy handkerchief about because you've forgotten to take a clean one out of your box or your drawer. If your wife provides you with a reasonable stock, you might at least take the trouble to remember to use them. All right, toppers. That's going to do it for episode 59. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. Check out my website, turnofphrases.com, to find out information about the show's social media, how to send me topic suggestions, how to support the podcast, and for details about the music I use in the show. If you want bonus stuff, check out my Patreon page. There's a link in the show notes. If you had a good time listening today, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast. Researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers, I want y'all to know that I think you're the cat's meow. Toodaloo. And now... This is... Let me rephrase. All who went, old and young, seemed delighted. (laughs) I think I put too many syllables in that. Mr. Alley said his agency does not do speculative... Let's work backwards on this one. In eight... Nope, that's the wrong year. Posted... Nope, that's not what I wrote. While talking about refurbishing a stadium instead of a building... That's so wrong. That's not even remotely right. We need to go about 30...
Nope, that's, that's, we need to go further than that. There have been other variations as well, such as the 20, wait, 29th. <laughs> I'm, that's from the future. And the boy laughs uproariously, uh, wow, I butchered that word. And the boy laughs uproariously, I think I'm just <laughs> going to use a different word. However, this Greek tale of woes, uh, oops, nope. When Heinrich Steinhauel, a Swabian Arthur, nope, not Arthur. Oh my goodness, excuse me. Oh, there's another little one. In his 1922 novel, Right Ho, Jeeves, oh, nope. <laughs> hey everyone, this is Toph, host of Gravity Beard podcast featuring interviews and discussions on a wide range of topics. In each episode, I'll either interview a special guest or we'll convene our typical Algonquin roundtable of brilliant minds. Occasionally, we'll even be joined by the host of one of your other favorite podcasts. Then every other week, my buddy Adam stops by for an installment of This Week Today. Whatever we do each week, we promise you'll be entertained. You can find Gravity Beard on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else quality podcasts are sold. And you can always find us and other indie pods in the Underdog Podcast community on Facebook. We're also a member of the Podfix Network. Come check us out. Gravity Beard. It's what your ears will want to be listening to. 